recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 153 is recorded live March 14th, 2013. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson on the west side of Michigan, right off of the Great Lakes. Welcome my co-host this week, Mac. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Glad to be here. Excellent. And we also have joining us is Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? Yes. Waffle like normal. Excellent. I just feel kind of out of sorts. This this weather here, I'm not, it's probably normal for March, but it seems like it wasn't too many years ago, and we were actually diving in Lake Michigan just about this time of year. Oh. Um, you there? I'm there. Yeah. Okay. I am now. Yeah, just a really bad lag there for a second. Maybe I'll have to do unplug the internet for everybody else in the house. But yeah, this weather we're having is, I was ready for spring. I want my spring back. Uh, some of the trees look like they're getting ready to spring. Well, I think once that uh, happens, it's it's going to happen big time. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of the fruit trees are really turning red. Uh, if you drop by the orchard, you can just see the hues red in the top of the trees from where their sap is flowing. So good in the snow on the ground. Good indication that we're not that far away. But it has been has been making for sloppy, slimy driveways. Well, let's go ahead and dive right on into the news. First up is a recall. U.S. Divers has a recall on two popular youth math sets. They announced that the voluntary recall affects 44,000 of the Martinique LX Junior Youth Snorkeling math sets. Uh, and that is due to a cause that they had eight reports of consumers experienced cracked or broken masks while using the mask. Additionally, four of those reports involved young swimmers experiencing lacerations and scratches as a result of a tempered glass breaking. Uh, manufactured and sold between November 2010 and July 2011, the mask set cost approximately $30. It could be purchased at a major retail chain, Costco. Uh, the particular product identified by the blue and silver accents with the U.S. Diver Wave logo on the side buckles. Additionally, U.S. Divers are calling 130,000 Santa Cruz Junior Youth Snorkeling Masks for the same reason. Nine reports have been received uh, regarding tempered last breaking during use. Reports of minor cuts and scratches have been associated with the Santa Cruz Mask. They were manufactured and sold between March 2011 and July 2012 for between 10 and $30. These sets were available at, national, at major national sporting goods retailers, including Vic's Sporting Goods and the Sports Authority, as well as online through Amazon. Now, U.S. divers, didn't that used to be the uh, – you don't see that in diving equipment anymore, do you? I don't know. I haven't really noticed that. Because, I mean, that's what my BC was, but that was an older BC. Yeah, and we don't have any of our dive shop folk in the chat room now. But it seemed like U.S. divers used to be a – dive equipment, and now it seems to be just a brand that they're using for uh, the mass retailers. Oh, they used to have everything, yeah. you know, masks, vents, snorkels, regulators. Right. And they were a full, um, I don't want to say full service, but full line of dive gear. They, they had everything. So, you know, it's, uh, 
The great book of everything and see what it says. You know what does a wonderful book of everything say? Well, I, I found the website usdivers.com. What was your original question you asked? Was is just I was just speculating that you just don't see a whole lot of U.S. diver equipment anymore. I mean, even dive shops that have it, it's, it's almost like they've they've changed it into a sub brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in fact, that's what it is. Same logo, the same logo we used to have on the dive gear. All they sell are mass and snorkels, mass snorkels, fins, and then what are separate? Is that clothing? So, I mean, it's part of the, I believe that's part of Aqualung, isn't it? I'm not sure. Aqualung used to be a, a sub-brand of U.S. Divers. Yeah, because U.S. Divers was Jacques Cousteau's company. Yeah. 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 So they just kind of flipped it around. So it's probably a way of getting their gear in. Uh, now, masking, that's, that's kind of unusual uh, that they would have that sort of problem. So I'm speculating that there was some sort of defect or inconsistency in the size because tempering, Really, part part of that tempering to be effective is the frame that it's in. So if they've got some sort of manufacturing defect or a flaw where it's pre-stressed or chipped, because that's tempered glass. Well, like Jim said, if you dive into the water off a diving board and go face first, it might have a tendency to do that. Oh, yeah. That would make sense. So uh, I guess the thing the thing to do would be to check your, your kid's dive gear, because that's what it appears to be as the youth sets, and take a look and see if uh, you've got any of them. Hmm. And if you happen to be in Israel, you might not want to uh, be be diving in places they may not want you to. An unidentified country has given Israel's DSIT solution orders for its AquaShield underwater security system to protect ports and offshore facilities. Oh, so it's not Israel's producer. They're, they're selling it to somebody else. The order is worth $3.2 million, and the systems are to be delivered immediately and come throughout the year. Uh, provides an automatic detection system for tracking classify, classifications of both scuba and closed circuit divers. And their market is navies, homeland security agencies, and others, such as gas and oil companies and nuclear power facilities. Well, it was interesting. You normally have passive sonar, which is looking for the sounds. But they were saying the rebreathers have uh, made a big difference since they're not nearly as noisy. And then they were using high-power, low-frequency sonar. But that's, again, not really good for small objects. I didn't really realize it, but uh, quite a few companies make that. Westmar, that we're more familiar for uh, side scans, mm-hmm. they also have a diver detector sonar. Oh. And I think part of it hybrided from some of the equipment by um, oil protection and oil pipeline people. Yeah. Uh, because I'm looking at some of their stuff. Their DDSJ diver detection sonar also used to locate their divers if they were to get lost. Uh, you've got a German DDS 9000 multi-beam diver detection sonar. Mm. So I see at least nine different groups that make those. I didn't know it was that uh, that popular. Well, it's one of those things I think if something happens, then you live in a country where the population kind of complains, why aren't you doing anything? But do we have the same protection above the water where it's easier for somebody to get to? And when you consider, why would you go anywhere unless it was a specific area that you're going to try to do something to? And the beach is not going to be it. Well, I'm thinking it's much easier if you want to create havoc to do so in other places. Now, if I was a Navy, I, I may want something like that because it would be a little embarrassing for people to plant mines on your vessels and detonate them right there in the sure. but I like but, the way the, the subs used to do it. So they'd make sure everybody was out and they'd get on their high powers. And if you're anywhere near that sub, they're going to get killed. 
Wow, yeah. Uh, that was another reason they didn't like them to test the submarine sonars around Hawaii because it was killing some of the uh, fish. Mm-hmm. So they actually said they didn't want military subs using sonar unless they were in somebody else's waters. Wow. How are you going to protest that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting, though. And then out of Australia, we have vandals have attacked the wreckage of, wreckage of World War II-era Japanese mini-sub. It was one that had attempted to attack Sydney Harbor during the conflict. Uh, the vandals have stolen parts of the craft and protected relic. The vessels involved in an attack in 1942 after a Japanese reconnaissance flight reported that Allied warships were anchored in the harbor. The submarines attempted to attack the warships but were protected by the Allied forces. One of the Japanese crafts tried to torpedo the cruiser, USS Chicago, but missed, thinking the Australian ferry HMAS Kettable with a loss of 21 lives. The crew of two submarines scuttled their crafts and committed suicide with the fate of the third unknown until scuba divers discovered it in the north beaches of Sydney in 2006. The authorities set up an exclusion zone around the submarine, which is believed to hold the remains of crew along with good luck charms and personal items, including samurai swords. Divers have apparently entered the site, damaged the hull of the submarine before taking some of the relics and part of the propeller blade. A statement from the Australian Environmental Department appealed for information about the theft. Uh, the site is protected under heritage law of the New South Wales with fines of 1.1 million Australian dollars, which is about 763,000 pounds. I find it interesting they've had it since 2006. And I, I'm curious about the comment they say. Is believed to hold the remains of crew with good luck charms and personal items that summarize towards, which means they don't have a clue. Yeah, so they didn't inventory it. They're taking things that they don't know what was there to begin with, other than the propellers. Did you get that part or not? I mean, I just saw two of the three props they took. Yeah. No, I picked up on that, too. It's like, you know, they believe it holds this. They believe it holds that. Well, I don't know. No, so they didn't take an inventory of it, so they don't know what it is. All they did was set the exclusion zone and say, don't go here. So, you know. Well, you know, divers like props. Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, picture of the one. Ain't a hell of a lot to look at. No, it's not that big, really. I mean, it looks like the Huntley with a conning tower. Small. Yeah, we did down three of those Japanese mini subs off Pearl Harbor, also. Yeah. Well, when you, when you look at that one that they pulled out, I'm guessing by the the dress that had been found in the 50s, and look how bad that is. What do you think it's going to look like after you know 50 years in the water soaking? Well, they found another one off Hawaii not not more than 10 years ago, as I remember. Yeah, I think that was the third one. They they didn't know it was there. Yeah. And if you're in Florida, some good news, which I guess it was bad news that it happened in the first place, but the hyperbaric chamber in Pacific Grove is about to reopen. That's Florida? Monterey County. Oh, is, it, oh, is that California? I thought so. <laughs> no, Florida, California. What's the difference? It's warm. Sunny. Yeah, other than maybe a few thousand miles. Yeah. So it's Pacific Grove hyperbaric chamber, which, as we know as divers, can be used to treat decompression sickness. The chamber has been active since 1963. It closed in June because of inefficient medical liability insurance. Since then, then the local diving community has fought to get the chamber back online. Uh, Lewis Powell of 7C Scuba in Monterey says, we need to get the chamber up and running again. Recreational scuba diving is so important for the Monterey Peninsula. To not have a recompression chamber on the peninsula is a worst-case scenario. 
It's a long 54-inch wide metal tube housed in the Pine Avenue Fire Station and is used to treat divers' re- decompression sickness. So that's a fairly small one yeah. as far as they go. Well, only presses down to 60 feet. Which is probably enough for most recreational type of injuries, wouldn't it? You would think so, yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, probably if you can only go 60 feet, it just means that you probably have longer treatments as well. Yeah. And if, and if you read the article, which we'll have in the show notes, we talk about how some of the treatments go. Um, they said the chamber was closed when PARSAC, the city's insurance carrier, was found not to cover medical liability associated with its operation. The city is in process of reviewing insurance quotes and close to solving the problem, says risk manager Kathy Carincia. It's a very positive outlook. We anticipate being back online within 30 to 45 days. We've got everything moving forward. There's just a couple of things like getting quotes on insurance and getting volunteers on board. In addition to acquiring medical liability, the chamber needs to undergo scheduled maintenance before it will be operational. The maintenance includes replacing the chamber's windows, which is expected to cost $23,000. They said the upgrades are an indication of malfunction or disrepair, but rather a necessary step to keeping the chamber up to code. Uh, Donut, a nurse who had worked at the chamber patients for 33 years, said the city also needs money for the continued operation of the chamber. It costs 8000 10000 per year. Fundraising efforts bolstered by the local research dive community, National Marine Sanctuary Federation, and National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration and area dive shops have been coming to the rescue. We have enough money before donations to pay for insurance and the upgrade, but not enough money left over to pay for more than a year of operation. Now the money that's come in along with the pledges for continued support we presented to the city of Pacific Grove, our proposal will get it back online. Is that one of those things that now that they found out that people are willing to pay for it, that they're asking for more money? So it sounds like it. I'm just curious how the Obamacare is going to come into play and help us out. That'll be interesting. I mean, how is that covered under these programs? When we look, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Hyperbaric treatment, is that an option thing or is that... Well, if you hadn't dove, it wouldn't have happened if it's your fault. We don't take care of that now. Well, if you've got uh, your Dan insurance, they're going to cover the trip. Yeah, I can't say enough positive things about Dan insurance. I've never had to use it, but uh, I know Bob Sweeney, he used it with his wife, and he said everything they did for her, I think it cost him a dollar. Wow. Yeah. I know it saved him buku bucks. Yeah. yeah, like, well, like, and we, don't, we don't get any money from Dan, but still means they're a good worthwhile program. Oh, I kept my insurance because if I need it, I want it. Yeah, it's not a time that you want to get get treated and then find out your uh, primary medical insurance isn't going to cover it. Well, I wouldn't mind as long as it's after I got treated. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, oh, by the way, this is not a life-threatening emergency. Uh, we need $10,000 up front since your insurance doesn't cover it. Right. I'll just speak Spanish, though, in my mumbling and you have to treat me. <laughs> Knowing day. <laughs> bubble, bubble. I'm not going to Obamacare. Go Obamacare. Yeah. Obamacare. Don't deport me. No. So stressed corals glow brightly before they die. A new report is saying that they can use the glowing of coral to determine its health. And by uh, doing the measurement, they've been able to determine that just before they die, they get a little bit brighter. It has to do with the organisms that live in the coil. And it seems like just before they die, they abandon ship, which causes an increase in intensity. So they came up with, they came up with a way of measuring this luminescence to try and find a non-destructive way to measuring the health of the coral. It said corals naturally produce fluorescence, 
proteins, which glow an eerie green when seen under a blue light. So if we're going to be diving there, we need to take a blue light with us? Sure. Yeah, sounds reasonable. They said they found a direct, distinct correlation between the degree of bleaching and the concentration of coarse fluorescent proteins. In the first four to five days, fluorescent protein concentration and glow of both cold and heat-treated coral drop. But by the end of the 20-day experience, the cold-stressed corals had acclimated and recovered to their normal levels of fluorescence. Heat-stressed corals, on the other hand, bleached and began to grow even more or glow more strongly, probably because their communities could no longer block the corals' underlying fluorescence, like a a supernova before the star's final collapse. Hmm. The little pictures in there are interesting, though. How the one golden one turns white? That's quite interesting. It would sound logical that after death, the glow stops. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And we're not the only one whose wishes was a little warmer. Uh, manatees are doing the same thing down in Florida. I thought it was warm down there. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. It says the uh, when the weather gets chilly, uh, the manatees will head into the springs. Florida has 5,000 manatees, and although most are migratory, Traveling as far north as Virginia, as far west as Texas, with a population of 300, the point that stay along the coast all year because they're subtropical species, susceptible to potential fatal condition known as cold stress syndrome. Manatees can't tolerate prolonged exposure to water cooler than 68 degrees. How come you never hear about those guys anywhere in, up in Florida? I mean, if they migrate over to Texas, all the way up to Virginia, how come you only hear about them from Florida? I think Florida is just where they're, they, they, because they come right on in. They're, they're right there at the springs. They said that they believe during winter months, the manatees don't naturally go farther north than St. Sebastian River. They said uh, their winter range has been artificially extended by power plant discharges. Because they're mammals, manatees also head to creeks and canals in search of fresh water to drink. Do all mammals do that? I mean, does, like dolphins? I don't think they do, do they? I just see the one where it says from swimming or kayaking, don't feed manatees or give them water. Now, you don't want to if you're going down there, you want to make sure that you're following the rules. They're they're getting pretty strict. And then there's also some people are getting overly strict. So you want to know exactly what the rules are so you don't get in trouble unnecessarily. So it sounds like man is their biggest hazard, huh? Yeah. Well, most of it's boats because they, they tend not to get out of the way. And well, then... Migrating from there to Texas, I think, open water. I just You never hear about a shark eating one of those things, or do you? I, I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe... <laughs> They maybe just don't hear about it. Maybe that still happens. I mean, they're giant. They're like a giant, like cow floating. <laughs> yeah. If you look at those pictures, they look like a great big tadpole. With big <laughs> they, yeah, they do a little bit. They got that that big wide fin. The ones they show in the photo also have look like they have some barnacles floating on top of them. And then the next one has some divers who are. And their impressions of diving on hooker rigs or stuba. So this is from St. Kitts. So some divers explaining that they were doing some uh, snuba experienced and that they actually said it was better than they were expecting. They said the best thing about snubas is only minimal gears required. It felt exactly like scuba diving without the heavy gas tank. The one thing that they didn't really care too much about was that you had to stay within 20 feet of the float. So it meant that you had to be... You know, you go 20 feet out or 20 feet down, but that was about it. So the p- constant pulling also felt uncomfortable. There was, they said that they felt like there's a potential for entanglement with other diver hoses. So we had to be constantly aware of other divers positioned. 
But if you've never done it before, it's a great way to beat snorkeling because you can get 15, 20 feet deep and don't have to keep coming back up for breath. Well, and it could be a good way of introducing people to scuba diving who maybe haven't tried or you haven't been able to convince to try it before. They also said that buoyancy control was so much easier doing snuba. Wonder how much training they give them again. You get down there and you screw up, take a deep breath, choke, and come straight up. 20 feet is going to create some issues. Oh, yeah. Down at the bottom there, it was saying about they don't need any kind of diving license or training. Or it doesn't say training, just says diving license. Yeah, a little positive pitch there. They says if you don't want to enroll in a one-week course for scuba, we highly recommend snuba. So uh, maybe a little bit of a biased report there. How did the, how did they get that acronym? I, I have no idea. Surface in, I don't know what the N stand for. Surface underwater breathing apparatus. Sounds like they float the tank. Matter of fact, I'm looking at that. It almost does look like that, doesn't it? What, yeah. you said a, a floated tank? A, yeah, yeah, it looks like, like a tank up there in a, in a float. drag tank behind you up and it's on a float. Now, how can that be called snuba if it's a tank? It's just like with a long octopus like I use on mine. <laughs> yeah. Because I've done this thing, remember? Now that you said that, I look. That's what it is, a tank. That's a hell of a drag in that little boat. At least with the hookah rigs, the engine and the, the battery part is up, so you're not dragging such a, a dead weight. It must be they're doing that purely for cost. Yeah. You, know, you get a float, you get a you know 80 cubic aluminum, and you can use a standard regulator with two lines off it. Yeah, because they're saying each tank shared by two divers. Yeah. In five to 30 minutes, that's about right for, you know, 10 to 20 feet. Yeah. Yeah, especially with inexperienced divers puffing off it as quick as they can. That was before my time then. Darn. <laughs> you could have patented it, Mac. It did rich. It does uh, work. I say that. Well, how's this for a place to work? LinkedIn paid an employee $3,000 to go scuba diving. I volunteer. <laughs> they paid Joe Rondelas, a senior corporate communication manager, $3,000 to teach scuba diving in Indonesia. It wasn't a vacation. He was going to teach skills to Indonesian youth so they could take it up as a profession, support their families, and protect local wreaths. His grant was one of 12 the company made. Other projects include raising funds for charities, building a chicken coop for an African orphanage, and drilling a well in Central American Village. Yeah, not too bad. Wouldn't mind if somebody wants to send me there to teach. I'm more than happy to do it. And then if you think it was tough for... Some people learn scuba diving. Here we have Heather, who is blind and deaf, and uh, she has recently gone scuba diving. Heather Lawson is uh, potentially the first blind, deaf person in sc- to scuba dive in Australia, certainly one of the few in the world. A uh, 54-year-old adventurer had skydived, bungee jumped, climbed rocks, <clears throat> and the Sydney Harbor Bridge. She flown a hot air balloon, snow, jet, and water skied. Scuba diving had long been on her bucket list. Last week, she spent an hour in the shallow reefs of Ricketts Point Marine Sanctuary. Thanks to support team, including Australian touch interpreters, dive instructor Mike Letch, founder of the Disabled Divers Association. She was tendered, tethered to a scuba hose, her tank floating separately so she could explore and sign freely. She held a starfish, a kelp, and urchins. I think I'd be wearing gloves. I'm not sure how much you're going to feel that way. And it looked like they were wearing gloves. If she's blind, why does she have on a mask? Because <laughs> that's a good point. Keep the water out of her nose. Okay. But if she's blind and deaf 
and a qualified diver described everything to her in water up to three meters deep. How did he describe everything to her? He was signing too. He was, he's also deaf. But I thought she was blind. No, signing. They do, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that, where they can sign into somebody else's hand. Okay, that I, yeah, that I know. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's what he was doing. He was he was seeing stuff, and he would sign, and then she would, so he'd say, okay, you know, there's, there's fish around us. Here's an urchin. I'm going to put an urchin in your hand, and she would see that. <clears throat> does remind me of one of the guys I first met at the drop zone many years ago. Uh, he was packing parachutes, and uh, I asked, you know, interesting guy, what's his name? Well, that's Blind Joe. It's like, excuse me? That's Blind Joe. He can't see. And I said, you're serious. And they were, and he actually jumped that way. Now, what, did he have well, like a device that would beep so he knew when to? Well, people ask, how does he know when to when to flare before he hits the ground? He said it's simple. When the leash goes slack, he flares. Oh. 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 Wow, we're 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 only halfway through the show. <laughs> well, I thought you'd appreciate that. <laughs> Work for him. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't resist that. It's almost like we need a moment of silence. <laughs> uh, just trying to liven it up a little bit. Oh, yeah. I know. I just, if this I, were divers sink, we'd have to have a commercial right now. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I need to add some more commercials. Uh, I, I do feel kind of less lively this week. This is I'm, I'm ready for spring. I want something. It's the weather. Yeah, I'm just blah. Yeah, it's just. Well, here's some. Yeah, here's need, some. You need to get wet, Darren. You need to get wet. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what happens. It's been, you know, you've had withdrawal for too long, and now it's it, it's it's settled in to your bones. Yeah, certainly has. Well, this next one is we have Teledyne wins a eight and a half million dollar contract to expand for expansion. What wins eight and a half million expansion to seal mini subcontract? So it must mean that the contract is giving them more so uh they're got an indefinite delivery indefinite quality contract to develop and test development model of a shallow water combat submersible swcs the contract being modified benefits united states special operations command and commissioned by teledyne to design develop test manufacture sustain the SWCS, which will replace the current SEAL delivery vehicle, an underwater motorcycle-type vehicle you see SEALs fighters riding in the movies. While studied, while suited up in scooter gear and approaching a beachhead at night, the new variant formally designed the advanced SEAL delivery system will be more like a mini-sub. Do they have a good picture of it? I didn't see a, a good one. No, I didn't see a picture of it myself. No, I, I think at this point, it's all, they're just, I don't think anybody knows what it's like. They're just hearing what it's what it could be like. Would you like to look at it? <laughs> oh, do you, do you, you got one? Uh, well, I've got the conceptual view of the Mod 1 sealed delivery, and it looks like a freaking torpedo with a compartment to get into. It's interesting. I don't see it's it. almost like we went full circle. It almost sounds like the subs that the Japanese had that were in Australia. Yeah, I'm sitting in you know, where I'm at. Defense Tech Org. Pull that up and peek. Navigate through all these multiple windows. So they had that one. This one's from July of. Yeah, what they used to have. What they used to have. It looked like a kind of a 
a blend between a bobsled and a torpedo. Yeah, seen that one. Kind of a James Bondish type of vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, the one I'm familiar with is a Farallon, but that's 20 years ago, actually longer than that. Remember that one? It's the one they used to use as a two man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you used to see those in movies as well. They would. DPVs. I always love to hear about submarines, though. Yeah, that's always potential, and you know maybe they got some surplus. You know, after a while, they just need to give them to some because we that that's something for the list. You can ask for decommissioned ships. Can't can't we get a decommissioned mini sub? Yeah, that should be easy, easier to sink, and it's made to do that. Yeah, you could sink it and a little bit less to clean. Yeah, just weld the hatch is shut and won't be any contamination. Yeah, you know, you, if you get inside and close it, then we can weld from the outside and we're all set. Not necessarily me. Oh, okay. I'd share that honor with somebody else. <laughs> and then maybe something that's a little bit more in our price range. The gear grid unveils a transport system. It's a line of customizable heavy-duty storage systems designed for fire and rescue operations and gear. Now, if it's designed for fire, it's going to cost two and a half times what it's worth. Can we get the non-fire version? <laughs> oh, they have these. Yeah, they sell it, the, the non-fire version they sell at uh, Harbor Freight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like the size of the wheels. I was thinking that would be great for if you had to do a beach entry or at least get to a beach. Nice big tires. You can get the ones with the balloon tires. They had this at work for the same reason. They were doing their SEBA tanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's what they're they're marketing this for, SEBA, but they also say scuba. Just got a modified red wagon. and (laughs) It does does have that look to it, kind of the handle. I mean, you got the tank racks. You just put it on a frame and add four big wheels. Yeah, that's true. That's like the what was in uh, Captain Tom's boat. He had those uh, racks that looked just like that. Yeah. Huh. Innovative. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, a trick for this, though, is to have some way for that to, like, you could flip the wheels around or something so you could get, so it'd be like just a basket, and then you could slide it in the back of a vehicle. Because the way that is, it's so tall, you'd have to have something pretty big to haul it around in. Like, you couldn't fit that in the trunk of your car. You could put it in the toy box. Well, that well, that's what, for sure. What, what you do is make it so that the, uh, the wheels, you, you kind of nest it. So when you want to, you bring the, the basket out, put it on top, and when you're done, you put the basket underneath, and it's a lot more compact. Yeah. After I retire, I'll, I'll perfect that. Yeah. Well, heck, we should patent that thing we made there for the club. Yeah. It's got the big wheels. It's got a winch on it. It's got a lift arm and everything for getting people yeah. out of there. Yeah, I think every dive club needs a dive winch. Well, which one? I'm talking about the metal one. You're talking about the other one, the other persuasion? Oh. You talk a winch or a winch? Well, I thought, you know, beer or winch. Yeah. That goes. Isn't that that close? Okay. Well, that does it for the news. We put that to to bed. And this this may be a quick section because I don't know. Did anybody get out and do any diving? No, sir. No. How about you? I went to a dive show. Does that count? That does count. Which show did you go to? Uh, I went to the. Shipwreck Festival in Ann Arbor, basically the Ford Seahorses show. Or was that two weeks ago? That was two weeks ago. Yeah, we talked about yeah, that, that last was week. Two weeks ago. You're right. That was two weeks ago. <laughs> it's a, it's the winter. It's getting to us. All the snow. Well, you went to a well, dive related are... thing the other day, didn't you? The MUP. What was oh, that? Oh, uh, the underwater preserve meeting. Yes. The what? Your preserve meeting wasn't that last week? Oh, that was Sunday. We had a preserve meeting on Sunday. Ah, that counts. What kind of good skinny you got from that? 
Well, we have some good news for our area. Uh, Daryl Wright from the Wright Video Photography over in uh, the eastern side of the state is going to bring his boat over and do some survey work with us this year. Oh, excellent. We, we will be looking for contributions to help pay for fuel for his boat, uh, but we'll need to put uh, a diver and or a tender on with him. And uh, this guy has got some video gear that's fantastic. And he will troll out around Max Rec for us and some other places that we've got some, you know, we, we keep seeing something on the bottom, but we haven't been able to when we dive. Mm-hmm. So he's gonna, we're going to give him those numbers and go out and work with him. And uh, he's going to run some lanes with video and cameras so that we can cover that area a lot faster than we could if we were swimming it or, or diving it to try to see what's down there. Now, does he have a side so scan at the same for, time? No, no. He's just going to look for the debris field for us around Maxrec, among other targets we have to give him yet. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Do we, any idea of dates, or is it kind of weather-related? Uh, not quite sure when he's going to be over, but uh, we'll uh, we'll keep people posted on that. Excellent. And then this coming weekend is the Ghost Ships Festival in Milwaukee and Scuba Fest in Ohio. So you can go to Milwaukee and learn about all kinds of shipwrecks and great diving and offshore diving. You know, they've got people there from, uh, you know, worldwide diving. Or you can go to Scuba Fest and learn about diving in quarries in Ohio, among other things. Yeah, so what you do is you kind of divide a line right in between. And if you're east of a certain point, you head to Ohio. And if you're west of a certain point, you go to Milwaukee or north. Maybe it's a diagonal line. Well, then I... I, I didn't get to go diving, but I did get to talk diving. We had a Florida diver who came up and dove in White Star. And I understand that they got an ice dive in on Saturday where there was actually some ice. And then it melted and Sunday was not a nice dive. <laughs> some of their pictures from the quarry were very nice this year. Unbelievable. They said 80 to 100 feet of visibility uh, under the ice. Yeah, the photos looked amazing. I've been waiting for the ice to clear off the lakes around us. It's probably too thin to dive through right now, but it's the, the lakes are still covered all around where I'm at. It was late for the ice to get on, and now it's probably just going to be enough to be an inconvenience. We've got so much melting, the, the rivers aren't going to be anything to, to mess with. Well, if it quits raining, the rivers will clear up a little bit. Yeah. They've gone down in the last four days. You know, I was up to South Haven last Saturday working on their friend's goodwill, the tall ship, and I was amazed at how low the Black River was and in the low. Well, I swear yeah. it's three, it's two to three feet lower than it was last year. Wow. I mean, it was, you know, may have been the wind or what, but it was two to three feet lower. We were concerned hmm. that the boat might be sitting on the bottom. You know, normally the dock and the boat were level. Yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, We had the, I'm going to say the plank, you know, going down from the dock to the boat hmm. so that's not good i do know that this saturday is the uh opening day for a lot of the boat season and boat people here we have wolf's open house on saturday and sunday uh, on saturday at pier 33 they're actually having seminars and one of the major topics is going to be one of our representatives there talking about dredging and the need for dredging in st joe new buffalo's got a major issue so it sounds like everybody on this side, at least, has low water and lots and lots of dirt and sand. Yeah. 
Well, the water level did go up a little bit because I was talking to my friend who works at the DNR ramp, and the stump was actually out of water. <laughs> I mean, it was it was above the water, and now the level's back up towards underwater. And for those who can't remember, we there's a stump that people yeah. have been hitting with their boats when they back out of that ramp. So they're, they're also, he brought it up to some of the higher-ups at the DNR, and they're talking about getting a, uh, a backhoe over there. They've got one, and reaching in and trying to pull that stump out. It's going to take some digging because it's been there a long time. I'm guessing that they pile-drove right into the other side of it and just chopped it down and said, well, that's far enough. Yeah. Wow, why do I feel like a nap? Gosh. I've been that way the last two hours. Yeah, maybe you know, carbon monoxide or something going on. I don't know what it is, but yeah, apologize for everybody. Seems like we're, we're about ready to go to sleep. But if you can't stand listening to us, you can follow at least the show notes. The show notes will be on scubaobsessed.com. Uh, I wonder how the, the wedding went last week in Mac. You missed it. Uh, but uh, Tweetin, who's been doing our show notes for us, he was, wasn't able to get the last ones up because he was getting married. So I guess that's a good excuse for, for not being able to do it. So hopefully he had, him and his now wife, everything went successful. Well, congratulations and, to him. Yeah. Both of them. And we look forward to seeing some pictures. So send them our way. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. Go www.facebook.com forward slash obsessed. We're also online at Access Scuba, accessscuba.com forward slash scuba obsessed. And we're on Twitter at scuba obsessed on Twitter. And I need to get over and do some dive videos. So if you have any dive videos, head on over to our dive video site, suggest it, and we'll take a look and put them up. What we're looking for is unique, high quality dive videos. Uh, what I like to do is use that site so when we got people who don't know what diving is, I can point them over there and say, okay, Click on this category, look at this, this, and this. So trying to get some of the best dive videos. Let's see, do we have anything else to promote? Ah, seems like just that slow time of the year. I am ready. Time to get the gear in and serviced before the rush. Certainly. If you have not done that, I mean, this is the gear service time of the year. Take a look at your tanks. If you're within 60 to 90 days of a needing a visual or past due, Get it into your dive shop now. Uh, it doesn't take them long to do it, but you have to get it done. And then and find out what the requirements are. Some dive shops want your tanks empty when you bring them in for a visual. Well, also, you have to dump it. Yeah. Also, hydro, if you're within six months of needing a hydro, it's probably a good time to get it done now. Because you're, you're if you don't have it done, you're going to wish you did because we're going to be diving and you're going to want to be diving as well. Shake all the spiders out of your regulator. Yep. See, I, I had my regulator serviced here in the fall, so now I'm all good. So I'll be good for good good till about the time where you know we you get to that turkey dive, and then that will be my annual service between the turkey dive and we start getting some good ice. I, I figured that's a good time of the year for me. And then I'm I'm l- looking for four gallons of Aqua Seal. So once I get that, then I should figure I should have enough to fix the wetsuit. Marine Goop. Marine Goop. It's cheaper. Works great. Marine Goop? Yes, that's what I've been using on my gloves. Any seams that you start to go, you put that on there. Now, could I just dip myself in it and then put the wetsuit on? No, but you get that dip it and do that. You know, just pour it from your neck down. 
put the suit on and then pour it around it, seal the suit to your body. And that should work pretty good for about two minutes. <laughs> two minutes. It dries, the, the chat room again is harassing me, saying I need to get a dry suit. I mean, Darren, I think, I think we're going to take two or three scrap wetsuits, <laughs> cut them apart, and laminate them to the outside of your wetsuit. <laughs> I've got parts in pieces. I was, I was seriously thinking about doing that. Franken suit, you know, patch it together. So I add a little more buoyancy to it, though. But uh, yeah, I, I don't need any more of that. I'm getting rid of the buoyancy. I don't know if I've I've told you guys, but uh, since probably I, I I went seriously on losing weight. So right, gosh, just about the time of Thanksgiving. So from Thanksgiving to today, I'm 30 pounds down. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah, yeah so uh, 30 pounds down, and uh, I'm I'm pretty religiously losing two pounds a week. That's a good, safe way to do it. Yep. Just, and it hasn't really been too bad. I've got, I've got my, my secret weapons for it. And that's kind of like, I wish I had known about this years ago, but losing that weight. So it's, it's, it's been good. Tell me about the secret weapons. I can, I can, I can, um, yeah, well, I'll have to, we'll have to do a special just on the secret weapons or something. Okay. I I can. Tell us on Tuesday, you know. Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah, I I can do that. I, I've been uh, tease everybody, but yeah, we we can we can do it. It's a yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I really want now when you lose fifty, but you know, thirty is nothing to sneeze at. No, the problem is when you look at thirty, and then I go back and I and you think about when I thought I was heavy when I was at the weight I am now after losing thirty, and you're like, crap. Yeah, you know, it'd it'd be better to lose a thirty without it putting it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the chat room. Sometimes I I, I I'm ignoring it. <laughs> And that, that, that can be accidentally or uh, potentially <laughs> or, or intentionally. So, Okay, well, I guess that puts us to that time of the show. So are you ready? Yep, yep. Just as long as you top the mid-show break. Uh, I think it's it will, maybe we'll have to do a vote. It will be pretty close. Okay. <laughs> you guys ready in the chat room? Do they have to answer a skills question? <laughs> okay. A dive line walks into a dive bar. He asks for a shot of tequila. The bartender replies, sorry, we don't serve lines here. So dive line leaves. The next day, the same line walks back in the bar. He asks for a shot of tequila. The bartender says, sorry, we don't serve lines. Please go away. The following day, the line stands outside the bar debating whether he'll go in or not. He ties himself into a knot, and then he frays himself at the bottom. He goes in and asks for a shot of tequila. The the bartender replies, hey, aren't you that dive line that's been coming in here all the time? The line replies, no, I'm afraid not. That's pretty good. <clears throat> At least it's clean. Maybe cruelty to animals. <laughs> What's a lion got to do with afraid not? Oh. <laughs> So, until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And I don't think we harmed any lions in tonight's show. Why? Oh, line. Dive line.
excited.